This is a recording made in the chapter of the opened book and under the covering title of Saul, who also is called Paul. And at this moment, this series, we are not looking at the earthen vessel so much as to discover some of the wonderful treasures that have been preserved in it for our benefit. And this morning, I want to deal with that which is very near to the heart of every one of us. That is the question of the forgiveness of sins. It's possible that some of those who are listening to this little study this morning may say, oh well, we should be let off the everlasting insistence upon the need for dispensational truth and right division. Well, you're not going to be friends. For the first occurrences of forgiveness of sins plunge you right into the middle of the problem of right division. Will you turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 6? This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And you do remember that later on when our Saviour revealed that he must die upon the cross Peter would not have it. These folks who listened to the Sermon on the Mount had no knowledge at that time that salvation would depend upon the sacrificial death of Christ. So you've got to be very, very careful how you use expressions that come in the early part of Matthew and try to fix them and fit them into the present period. That doesn't mean to say there's anything wrong about it. They were right at their time, but handle them carefully, otherwise you may mix the dispensations to the upsetting of a good many folks with regard to this very vital thing. Matthew the sixth chapter. Up and down this land, at this very moment, millions of people are bowing in churches and saying these words, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. It may be a repetition, but oh, what a blessed thing it is to think that we can dare go into the presence of God and say such words. Don't you see, friends, you do. There is no good talking about the hope of glory, acceptance in the Beloved, standing before his throne unabashed. If sins have not been entirely and completely removed. There are two words used in our English, forgive and pardon. Well, you know that for and pa are the same, and give and don are the same, donation or donne and so on to give. But in usage, we use pardon in a law court and forgiveness in private. That's general. I mean, to say you could use either, but it would not be quite consistent for a judge in a law court on a bench to forgive somebody, but he can legally pardon somebody. So there is a little distinction between the one and the other in ordinary usage. But we are concerned with the fact we're dealing with God. And forgive or pardon, whichever way you use it, comes to the same thing in the end in that sense. And here we have then, in this 
this uh, sixth chapter, this prayer that is used not merely once in a service, sometimes more than once, and over and over again on the various services in the Sundays and through the week. And here we have a continual emphasis upon a fact that is said and said and said, and yet never seems to enter into the mind of the person who says it. So shall we look at Matthew 6 and see this prayer which starts in verse 9. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Shut the book, and that's the end of it. But that's not the end of it. Our Lord lifts out one clause. And in this prayer, we've actually said, forgive us as we forgive others. But we never bother to stop and think the alternative. That the scripture definitely says that if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. Not in this passage, anyhow. So let's see. Verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, notice this, if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. <coughs> well, that's a statement in the Gospel of Matthew. So here we have to face this statement here, that if you're under the terms of this kingdom, and if this prayer is the one that you could legitimately offer to God, you are really entering into a agreement that the, the forgiveness which has been granted to you can be rescinded if you do not express the same attitude of grace to someone who's offended you. So you see, dispensational truth and right division has a bearing here. Let's take it a stage further and look at that passage we had read as part of our lesson in the 18th chapter of Matthew. Because we are not left guessing here. Verse 21. Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me till I forgive him and I forgive him? Till seven times? Well, that was stretching it a good deal, wasn't it? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And that may be looking at the attitude of God himself in the seventy times seven that we get in prophecy dealing with this people which is here before us. Now let's see again another point in this Gospel of Matthew. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. So here's a man in extreme debt. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, 
have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. Now comes the sequel, which is so difficult for us to face. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience unto with me, and I will pay thee all, and he would not. But went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother his trespasses. So you're not left in doubt, are you, in these two passages, that in connection with the teaching of the kingdom, a forgiveness which is given to you by grace can be rescinded and lost, and you go back and you're up to your eyes in debt once more. Don't you see how needful it is when we're dealing with these things to face the fact that the gospel according to Matthew is a gospel of a kingdom and when you come to Paul's epistles it's not dealing with this aspect at all, it's dealing with a deeper and a richer and a more wonderful exhibition of grace and love. So let's be grateful that we're not under this terms. But let's also remember that there is laid upon us the obligation, without punishment following it, that if God forgives us, oh, surely we should be forgiving in our attitude one to another. That's the way in which it is expressed in the passages that bear upon our own calling. Well, enough of that. I felt it was wise for us to just notice these statements. Now should we turn for the rest of our time uh, to that which belongs to our own calling and see some of the wonder of God's grace in this great subject of forgiveness. We'll turn immediately to the Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 1. And you don't get further than verse 7 before you have this blessed reference to the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood, immediately following that, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us. Let's put a full stop there. In all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us, you see, you can't abound in wisdom and prudence. You can't fill a cup and run it over and give every tiny drop a watch. So there's a little stop there, but that's another subject. So, redemption through his blood is the basis of the forgiveness of sins so far as you and I are concerned. There was no reference to redemption through his blood in the early chapters of Matthew. It wasn't revealed until you get halfway through that Christ must suffer 
and die to make a basis. It's only, I'm only saying this because we believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God, but you can do harm by quoting a scripture that belongs to some other calling and trying to make it fit that which is entirely different. Ephesians is an epistle addressed to us poor outside Gentiles. But what grace is here mentioned? Shall we read that precious verse again? In whom we have redemption through his blood. Who's he speaking about? To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In whom? In that beloved one. We have redemption through his blood and that is immediately issuing in the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded towards us. Shall we notice Romans, the third chapter? I'm only refreshing your minds of that which you know so well, but that's a part of our ministry, isn't it? Romans, the third chapter, 24 and 25. That's it. 24 and 25. It says in verse 23, For all have sinned, all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. And the next verse says, Being justified. But you can't start a new subject with the word being. So do notice this, at the very same moment that you in your own person have come short of the glory of God, at that very same moment you could be justified because it doesn't depend upon what you've done but what he has done. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his kindness to us. Am I right? No. To declare his righteousness for the remission, here's the forgiveness of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Oh, what a different basis there is for the forgiveness of our sins in this Epistle and in Ephesians for that which was given by the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount to those who listened to his preaching with regard to the kingdom that was about to be set up if only they had accepted him. We are very thankful that forgiveness and pardon is expressed in the Old Testament. But surely we should be very, very grateful to see the glorious basis of our acceptance and the forgiveness which is provided for us outsiders as we are by nature. Will you look at chapter 4 of Romans? Verse 6 Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man in whom God imputeth right, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they who have righteousness imputed to them without works? No. It changes. He says, 
the blessedness of those who have righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Notice the two words, or the one word in the two verses. He does not impute sin, but he does impute righteousness. It's no mere negative. Take away the filthy garments. Give him a change of garment. You remember the story in the prophecy, the Old Testament. Not merely take away the sin and leave you naked and bare, but clothed with a righteousness and acceptance in the beloved. So this is forgiveness, friends, in the sense that God intends us to appreciate it. Will you look at Acts the 13th chapter? Acts the 13th chapter, verses 38 and 39. Acts 13, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren. You see, this is the apostle standing up in this, uh, giving, taking this opportunity at Antioch to lay before them some of the teaching that has been committed to him. And here it is. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. So again, you see, the first thing the apostle seems to draw attention to is that through this man we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, we have all that, but the first thing is the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. That's an additional explanation. We'll keep to the one subject for the moment. It's big enough in all conscience. In Psalm 32, without turning to it, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Covered. Now, I'm not quite sure just how the word forgive and pardon have come to mean what they do. Of course, you can see that for and par are the same. And give and don are the same. They come from two different sources. Now, in what way does the word forgive mean to cancel your sin and let you go free? Forgive. It seems as though the word give contains in itself the idea of giving place, giving up, giving away, not insisting upon your rights. Let it go. Something has been done to settle the matter. That's as far as we can go with regard to our English word, for give. But even though we cannot trace the etymology of the word forgive, we are blessed be, blessed be God, we can understand some of the preciousness of what it entails. To be cleansed from unrighteousness. To know that you can go into that presence and make a confession that you have done wrong and you've sinned. And instead of being turned away, you could feel a hand of blessing coming down on your bowed head. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Go and sin no more. You may say this is very primitive truth. You might as well be preaching to a company of unbelievers. Well, friends, it's a precious thing for us too. Even if we've known this truth for most of our lifetime, surely 
It's so wonderful, it needs an airing over and over again. And that's why we're looking at some of the basic doctrines that are found in the earthen vessel, Saul, who also was called Paul. Now, just a word or two with regard to some of the words that are used in connection with um, in connection with this uh, question of forgiveness in the Old Testament and in the New. Would you turn back with me to Numbers, the 14th chapter? Numbers, the 14th chapter, and verses 18 and 19. Numbers 14, verses 18 and 19. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, evil even unto now. So we've got there a plea, but the point I'm making is that this particular word means, this word for pardon and forgiveness means to lift up. It's a word in the Hebrew language which means to lift up a load. I've got two passages which you might like to uh, turn. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 verse 13. It's the cry of Cain who had murdered his brother and now feels the burden. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I could bear. Now this is the same word that means to be needed to be lifted up, something that's the burden that needs to be lifted up. That's one of the aspects of the teaching of the Old Testament of the forgiveness of sins. It lifts the burden. And then again, in Isaiah 53, verse 12, I think we could almost quote that from memory, but we'll be sure. Isaiah 53, verse 12, we get this same word that means forgiveness. There, used of our Saviour's sacrificial work. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He bare. So you see, the fact that that word is used for forgiveness, and that word is used for the bearing of sin, shows you how God has dealt with it. He hasn't just blotted it out like that by a wave of his power. He has done it righteously. Sin is never treated lightly by God. And in order that he might be just and the one that forgives sins, he sent his beloved son to die in our stead. So when we do utter those precious words, as we may do, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, all think of the cost. And it will help us to seek to walk more in harmony with such a high calling. In case you wish to know these Hebrew words, I don't stress this. This is the word Nasa, N-A-S-A, if you like to look up further references. Another word which K 
kephar comes into usage, kopha is used in the Day of Atonement, that we find in uh, the first of Peter, an echo of that. Although Peter is writing in Greek, he was thinking in Hebrew and writing to Hebrews. 1 Peter 2.24 1 Peter 2.24 Speaking of Christ, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So there we have again. He bear our sins and this is the word which we have in the Old Testament for the uh, Day of Atonement, the Kofa. And then we have one other word which means to remit or relax. Psalm 103 Psalm 103, verse 3. I hope you don't mind turning to these passages. They're all to do with our own hope. And the worth of moment, 103, verse 3. Speaking of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who forgives, he relaxes, he lets the, he lets the debt go, he forgives. And so we have these various ways in which the Old Testament words show you that a burden has been transferred and it's been taken away. That surely is something worth the moment of consideration. Now, one or two references in the New Testament to take us a stage further. John, the first chapter. John, the first chapter and verse 29. John one twenty-nine. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. There's John's introduction to of us to Christ. He's the Lamb of God, which gathers up all the offerings of the Old Testament in their type and shadow. And he takes away the sin. That's the reason for the offering. So again, you see, we've got this idea of lifting and removing. And then if you go to Hebrews chapter 9, 22. Hebrews 9, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, is no remission, no forgiveness. It's not our blood that can be shed. It's not one of us for another. But the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. I always remember this verse because I've told you before, I know, 
that about 50 odd years ago, or perhaps earlier, we had a little witness in a back alley at Allgate among the Jewish people. And I put in the window of that little place a text, without the shedding of blood, no remission. Because I thought it would attract attention to a Jew who knew the Bible, because he cannot possibly offer the sacrifice now in this country. He has to do the best he can. But a little boy read it and misread it, and he went running up the alleyway shouting, Don't go in there, he said. It says, without the shedding of blood, no admission. Well, how true that is, isn't it true? No admission. No remission. It all depends upon the cross of Christ and the fact that sin has been dealt with justly and we go free. But he bear our sins in his own body, the tree. Oh, dearly, dearly as he loved, you remember the hymn, and we must love him too, and trust in his redeeming blood, and try his works to do. There should be some results in our attitude one to another. If we have been forgiven so great a debt, it ought to be fairly easy for us to extend a forgiving spirit to others. And yet, friends, we, we still meet with the same attitude that is condemned in Scripture, or let it not be so amongst us. Um, I just wanted to make sure there wasn't a point that I ought to have... Uh, perhaps we might turn to the book of the Revelation, as our time is running out. And chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. There's a lot in the book of the Revelation that baffles most of us. But here's an introductory word, verse 4 and 5. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come. And as far as we can understand, that is the New Testament way of expressing what is involved in the word Jehovah. The word Jehovah is made up of three parts of the verb, and it means he who was, and he who is, and who is to come. God covering all time and all ages. But that's by the way. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. What titles our saviour has here? But he's got one more. Unto him that loved us, and washed us, loosed us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, or by reason of his own blood, and so on. So there we have the opening of this great book of the Revelation, and this Lamb of God, and the shedding of his blood, and the forgiveness of sins as a consequence. That he might be just, and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. And just one other reference, and I think I must close. Luke, the second chapter, 29th verse. 
Luke, the second chapter and the 29th verse. Lord, oh, I think we ought to just go back um, in verse 27. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Surely we can endorse that attitude of heart and mind and realize that we are a blessed people if we could take to ourselves this marvelous statement in the scriptures that by the sacrifice of Christ the one against whom we've offended can stretch out a forgiving hand. But that's not all, friends. I've got to stop halfway in this story because forgiveness removes our uncleanness. But we can't stand in the presence of God like that. So there's another side to the story and that is that we are clothed with a righteousness not our own. So God willing, we must wait until we meet together at this same time next Sunday morning and continue to see some of the wonder of the grace of God, not only in the taking away of the sin, but a giving positively of a righteous standing. But that need not prevent us from being very, very thankful for the mercy of forgiveness that we've been just giving a little attention to.